I want to talk to you today about something I've called a gap therapy. And I, this concept has been around for a while, but I've been thinking about it more and more over the last few weeks. And have you heard the idea of an expectation gap? We all experience that. And you, and you maybe you've experienced it in result of you know, going through this 2020 or the COVID experience. Or maybe you had plans for 2020 that haven't worked out well. You know, I know a lot of companies, basically what they're doing is saying, budget, it's budget time. Well, we'll just pretty much put what we put last year and hope it happens. Because the expectations haven't been met. Maybe it's in a relationship you have or some other thing. But basically it works like this. You have certain expectations. Maybe they're right here. And then what happens in your life comes up to here and you end up with a gap. There's a gap right there. So what do you fill that gap with? What do you put inside there? There's something. Everybody puts something in there. And it's interesting how that works because if you have like, so for instance, if it's with a person and maybe they didn't rise to your expectations and you have generally good feelings toward them, what do you put in the gap? Good thoughts, right? You give them the benefit of the doubt because you have good feelings toward them. But what if, what if you have kind of generally negative feelings toward that person and they don't rise to your expectations? What do you put in the gap? You put less than good expectations, Right. You put things in there because you doubt them. You, you do not give them a, the benefit of the doubt. Instead, you assume the worst. Now, that's just normal human behavior. So a lot of times in that gap, if you've already assumed the worst, you may, you may interpret their behavior and not coming up to your expectations in certain ways. You may think, huh, I don't think they like me. Or maybe they don't respect me enough. Or maybe they're just rude. You just you fill that gap with something. Now, it's been said a lot, and, and this is generally true, that, that the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. So we start to develop expectations, and maybe you have certain expectations for somebody, and if they consistently do not come up to the top, that gap, you just start to lower your expectations because they continually disappoint. And so because of that, you put something in the gap. Let's make this practical for a minute. Imagine... Imagine if you're supposed to be meeting somebody and, and um, you, you go someplace. And today it can be even more awkward because, you know, a lot of restaurants have limited seating. And you walk in there and maybe you're waiting. I don't, I don't know if any of you do this, but I'm, I, I was ra- in my home, you know, we, it seemed like we were late a lot. And I, I never liked that. I, I didn't like being picked up late or be late. And so I'm always at least five minutes early. To me, that's on time. Does anybody else like this? Okay. So when I get to a place, usually I have to remind myself... Okay, that's me. If somebody's on time, they're on time. But, but how much later they're on time is developing a gap for you? Is it a minute or two? I mean, how long, how long do you wait before you start to wonder and fill the gap with something? Now, if you have good feelings, what do you think? Maybe they got, maybe God forbid, they got in an accident. Maybe something happened on the road, right? So, so you start to fill the gap with compassion and you're wondering, what happened? I hope they're okay. And then you start to wonder, why didn't they text me? Or why didn't they call? Now, if they've been consistently late, what do you do? You start to fill that gap with, with really, with a disappointed way. And you say something like, huh, maybe they don't respect my time like I respect theirs. Or maybe I'm just not important enough for them to be on time. Or maybe they had something better to do. Or maybe a better appointment came up. And somebody they wanted to see more took that time. See how that works? Here's what's interesting about all that. 
is um, what if you don't know them? Do you realize you have the same process go on? You walk into a store. Uh, this happened to me recently. Well, it happened last night. Nicole and I went out to dinner, and the waitress was exceptional. She was exceptional. There was no gap. In fact, she exceeded our expectations. That was nice. But have you had the other experience? Where you get there and you wonder, do they just not want to be here? Because um, I, I, I appreciate the fact that they're serving, and there's a lot of work involved in that, and it can be thankless. And I get it, the idea that sometimes you know, people don't tip like they should, and I hope you do, but I know that's the case. But there's times when maybe your server, they don't quite rise up to your expectations. So you start to fill that gap with something. I don't know if you do this. I always wonder. I think, I wonder if they've had a bad day. I wonder if maybe there's bad management here, and they're not happy in their job. Maybe their personal life isn't working out well, and something's going wrong. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, why, why, why are you not rising to my expectations? What is going on here? Maybe they're new. Maybe they don't know how to do the job. Maybe, I mean, I've got all these thoughts that I slide into that gap. But, it, but if it happens over and over, you start to realize or think, you fill the gap with other thoughts like, they're just not a good server. Or they're not a good person. Or maybe they should find a different job. Or we start to fill it with negative things. We take this, uh, when, we, when we see people, and maybe you've done this or noticed you do this, it's just the way human beings were wired. We, we make the snap judgment about people and develop expectations about our interactions with them in a millisecond. And we do it based on all these other experiences that we've had with either people that are similar or similar situations or maybe a business that we've frequented. So we have expectations and we slide people into these. And then when they don't meet them, we fill the gap with something. What you fill it with I think for a lot of us, says more about us than it does them. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't meet your expectations. Believe me, I, I have high expectations and, and people meet them usually. But it depends a lot of times on you. What are you expecting? Let me ask you this. Are you generally an optimist or a pessimist? So if you're an optimist and the gap is wide, you think, well, next time they're probably going to do better right? If you're a pessimist, what do you do? You think, well, I knew they wouldn't really do that good, right? What if, what if you're generally one of those people that are um, kind of forgiving and giving, and you usually, when they don't meet your expectations, you just kind of think, you know, that's okay. Maybe they had a bad day, and you write it off. But if you're kind of more of a, maybe a judgmental or somebody who really feels like people need to do what you think they need to do, then you're a little more harsh in what you put in that gap. Think about this for a minute. We live in a world today where things have changed a lot. Things have changed dramatically in just a little over six months. I mean, our entire world has changed. One thing that I've noticed, and I've seen this in a lot of places, but we're we're more distant than we used to be, and we're a little bit divided. And I know masks are important, but it, but it divides us. It, and I mentioned this before, how it's difficult sometimes to read somebody just by their eyes. Not everybody's eyes communicate the way some do. I mean, some do a great job. I mean, some of them, you can just tell exactly what they're thinking over that mask. But with other people, it's difficult to know. And what I've noticed is people look at each other less. And I feel like we've created, or this, this situation that we're in has created a certain amount of distance. A lot of people don't go outside their homes or they work from home. There's nothing wrong with that, but my point is it's created a distance in our society, it's in a division, and I think it's made people a little bit 
ruder and a little bit bolder. Have you noticed that? Maybe you haven't. I hope not. I think social media has done that. Where, where in a way, because we're distant and we're separate and apart, we, we, we feel comfortable doing and saying things we wouldn't necessarily do if we were in better relationship or looking someone in the eye. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? You're driving down the highway, and think about this. I mean, the average car weighs, what, a ton? 2,000 pounds? You're, you're driving down the highway in a hunk of metal that's, you're going 65, right? Because you all go the speed limit, right? <laughs> so you're going 65 down the freeway in a ton of metal, and you can't see people's faces. I know my truck, my truck windows are tinted a little bit. It seems like everybody's cars are tinted these days. Even if I do want to make eye contact with somebody, you can't. So basically, you're driving down the road in this anonymous vehicle, and there's all these other people on the road. And I think because of that, it tends to make people a little bit more careless than they normally would be, or a little bit more insensitive. I know this happened to me the other day. I, I was driving, and I heard a honk, and I looked over, and I'm like, man, where did that guy come from? Because he wasn't there a minute ago, and I'm thinking, how could he be there? And I know it's obviously possible to miss somebody in a blind spot, but I'm thinking, how could that have happened? You know, and he was, he was waving at me in an aggressive, angry way. And I did this, and I didn't mean, I, it was just reflexive. I rolled down my window, and I said, I'm sorry, and you should have seen his face. It's, it's like, it, it was funny. It's almost like you poured water all over, man. At one point, he's gesturing and angry. And then this, just this whole like, whoa, whoa, he sees me look on his face. And I was genuinely sorry. I mean, I, I, had, I didn't do any of that on purpose. And I was sorry that it happened. And I assumed it was my fault. And when I did that, I could tell in an instant, it was deflated. The whole experience was done. And he drove off, and I drove off, and uh, I got to thinking, this is, this is really what went through my mind. I drive the same route every single day. I wonder if I've seen him before. You know, because you tend to do that, right? I, and I tend to leave the house at the same time. You tend to see cars that you recognize on the, on the highway if you do that, if you're really a creature of habit, like I guess I am. Because here's what went through my mind. I wonder if anybody else saw that interaction and thinks I'm a horrible person. I literally thought that. And then I thought, I wonder if I've seen him before. I wonder if, wonder if he knows me. Because I didn't recognize him in that little short moment where I was saying, hey, I'm sorry. And he, he changed his demeanor immediately. But as he drove off, I wondered, will I see him again? And here's what I thought. I, I didn't do any of that intentionally. I wasn't thinking through it. I was just reflexing. I, mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, if I cause. And as we're driving down the road, I thought, I wonder if because I did what I did, instead of responding in anger, that I might have an opportunity to share Christ with that guy if that happens. I know, it's, I know it's crazy, but God does crazy things. We serve a God like that. We serve a God like, I, I don't know if this happened to you. Have you ever been driving and you, you maybe take a light short or something and then you pull into the same store as somebody that was right near you and you wonder, oh gosh, I can't park near them because you're embarrassed? <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. I thought it was me. We, we seem to live in this angry age. And people are putting stuff out online. I mean, it's like, obviously, there's crises in our world right now. And I think those crises have added a pressure that's made it worse. I think it's made it worse. I'm going to say this just, and it's just true, and I'm not talking about any individual in, in particular, but this happens at church too. Do you realize that? 
That because of all this pressure and all of these things, I think what has happened is we've seen that this pressure reveals what's already there. And because there's cracks in our relationships and there's gaps, that because of this, we tend to put, put negative uh, thoughts and negative expectations in the gap. Rather than giving people the benefit of the doubt or extending grace to them, instead we put other things there. I've seen it. I've seen it. The pressure, the anxiety, the disappointment, the loss of control over our lives. The cracks show what we've already been struggling with. Marriages that would have normally been fine are showing cracks because the pressure that this, this time we're living through are revealing. Maybe you've had a little un- uneasiness or, or frustrated with some area of the church. And because of that, the pressure shows the crack. Has anybody noticed that people are annoying you more than normal? I'm just asking. I just saw some people's heads right away shake, yes. You know what's funny? You know, as our kids are growing older, I mean, there's times where different ones of them, none of them that are in the room right now, but uh, different ones of them, at times, at times we could tell, were you up late? Because you're responding a little quicker, a little more angry than normal. Did, did you not get enough sleep? I could almost say that to all of us right now. Did you get enough sleep? Because it kind of seems like maybe not, because your reactions are a little more raw than normal. And I, I understand there's a lot going on. It's, it's a difficult, weird time. It seems like we're in a time where because of this kind of pressure that, that we, we start to even question decisions that we make. Or, or maybe we preemptively make decisions ahead of time that we normally wouldn't make. It's like we're not sure where to go. It's as if everything gets questioned. We live in a time, obviously, politics are crazy and race and and masks and school is not everybody's in school and some of them are on video and meetings let me ask you something what would it be like if we chose to fill that gap with something now i'm going to ask you this this is and i know for some people you're like well that's not fair okay i I know that maybe you didn't know this but (laughs) the way god's treated us isn't fair either you know that right being a Christian isn't about fair. It's just not. So I'm going to ask you this. What if, what if we chose to fill that gap with the benefit of the doubt? So we weren't going to jump to conclusions. We weren't going to think the worst in people. That we were literally going to fill that gap with grace. Grace is undeserved by definition. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve the grace God has given you, and we don't deserve the grace other people give us. That's why it's called grace. If it was deserved, you would have earned it, and you would have been entitled to it. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, in advance, you choose to put inside that gap grace and the benefit of the doubt. And so you're like, that's not, that's not fair. I mean, you get all walked on. Well, okay. I'm just telling you. Change everything. What if... What if we chose to hope for the best? What if we chose to look for the best? What if we chose love instead of arguing? What if we chose that? What if we chose prayer over politics? What if we chose to not let a virus divide us? Did you ever think about that? What if we chose to not let an election divide us? What if we chose to not let social media divide us? I want to take a look at a portion of scripture today in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a really fascinating city. 
Some of these, and I would love to travel through that part of, of Asia Minor and Turkey today and see some of the ruins that are there, but if you can just imagine for a minute, during the Roman Empire, the vast Roman Empire, Corinth, where Paul wrote this letter to this church, was a major, major city in the Roman Empire. They actually controlled, they were, they controlled a huge portion of the city. And the church he writes to was incredibly divided. In fact, I just did this. I, I looked in a, in a, in a concordant, or a, a, I looked in a, in a book that, that tells you all the details, and the subheadings of the letter go like this. Divisions, unholy separation. That's the first section. The second section, sin and biblical separation. Does it sound like a good church? A church you want to be part of? Then it said commitments and convictions. Then the next section was church conduct and diversity without division. And then the final two sections were doctrine of the resurrection and then household codes, how to get along at home. All of that division there. And in spite of that, as you open the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul sounds almost jubilant. He sounds excited to talk to them. You would think, I don't know if you've ever had to do this. Have you ever gotten into a negative meeting? Like you know it's, you're going to have to put the hammer down on somebody or discipline, maybe even with your kids. And maybe some of you enjoy it, I don't know. But, but for me, a lot of times, if I've had to go to those meetings, I've got to get myself ready for it. You know, I've got to build it up, and then I just jump into it. I can't, no small talk, let's just get it over with, right? But Paul doesn't do that. Paul has a love for this church that he's writing to that you can see in how he greets them. And his greeting here isn't just a rubber stamp kind of greeting that he gave to every church. This is a true greeting where he mentions people by name. He loves them. As I mentioned, this is the capital city of the Roman province of Achaia. It encompassed almost the entire uh, country of Greece. Its location made it a very profitable trading city. The isthmus that it occupied, a lot of times it was so dangerous and perilous to go around the isthmus, what they would do is they would take a ship, unload it, uh, cart everything to the other side of the isthmus, and then load another ship. So because of that, trade was amazing there. They had an endless supply of fresh water. They had a citadel there that was never conquered till the advent of gunpowder. Imagine that. They also had, up on the hill, on the precipice of, over the city, was one of the largest temples to uh, Aphrodite that there was, a goddess of love. In this chapter I want to look at, most people take it out of context. And when I say that, I know some of you are going to be like, oh, wait a minute, we used that in our wedding. Okay, it's fine. It's just it wasn't written for a wedding. It wasn't a wedding scripture. And I think that this chapter we're going to look at, I think for a lot of people, they veer away from it because they think of romance or they think of, because the chapter lends itself to that. But, but that's not why it was written. Something you need to always think about when you look at scripture is think about why and where it was written. This was a letter. It was a letter from, from Paul who had spent a year and a half establishing this church. And then he was traveling around and got questions from them and heard about the problems they were having. So as a, as a basically a spiritual father to this church, he wrote a letter to help correct these things. He wanted them to know, I love you and I care about you. And we need to fix these problems. So Paul writes this letter, and it's interesting where you see it. It's this letter that we're going to talk about. It's right in the middle of correction. You ever heard that style of correction? You're supposed to sandwich it. Have you heard that? You tell them a good thing, then the negative thing, then another good thing. Paul, Paul kind of reverses that here. He basically gives them correction, 
then this chapter, then more correction. Why would he do that? He does it because that's how we're supposed to do it. He's got gaps in the relationship. And basically what he's telling them, there's a gap here. And when you find the gap, I want you to put this in the middle. That's what he says. So here's how he does it. It starts off in chapter 12. And what Paul does is he, 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 he's talking to them about the gifts. And they've made some serious errors with the gifts of the Spirit. They've ele- elevated tongues over everything else. And they've almost made it a point of pride and bragging to each other. Those who had the gift of tongues and then over those who didn't. And what he does is he tells them that no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he sees they're necessary. Then he says that the gifts are not for you to brag about. They're for the whole church. Then there's that beautiful section, an analogy where he says the church is supposed to operate like the human body. We all have different parts. Some parts are more visible, some parts less visible, but they're all important. Then in chapter 14, he tells them this is how you do order in the church. I want to make sure you get the order right. The way he introduces this chapter is he says, yes, I want you to desire the gifts, but let me show you a better way. It's really cool. Let's read it for a minute if we could. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you could, maybe get out of your mind any romantic ideas. Get out of your mind any, even your own wedding for a minute. I mean, if, if it was in your wedding, nothing wrong with that. But what I want you to see is, this is about the church. And this is instruction for us as Christians in the church on how to help each other and deal with each other. He says it like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver my body uh, up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Then here's the part we usually quote in weddings. Love is patient and kind. What I want you to think of is that gap. When there's a gap, you're going to be patient and you're going to be kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial pass will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Why am I emphasizing this chapter today? I'm doing it because we need to change what we put in the gap. We need, to be, we need to put more patience in there, more kindness, more selflessness. We don't want to put irritability in there or resentment or rejoice in wrongdoing. In all things, we need to hope. We need to bear all things, endure all things. It's not even just about this election or the pandemic. What it's about is everybody you come in contact with, the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you bump into it. At, at Costco or wherever you go. How we respond to all of these things 
really illustrates where our hearts are. Do you ever think about that? The church needs us to be different. The world needs us to be different. How we respond when we win. How we respond when we lose. How we treat those with whom we have legitimate disagreements. The world is watching. You know what I I heard somebody talk about? And it made me wonder about this. They said, you know what we're really doing? We're doing a dry run with how the church would do if we were actually in times of persecution. I mean, we're not really being persecuted as as a church. This is a virus. This is an election. Now, persecution may be at the door. I don't know. But I do know this, that this is kind of a dry run to see how we respond. Because what you put in the gap when you're uncomfortable, that gap can get really long and wide. And you get really irritable. My, my point is, what you put in the gap right now really, really, really matters. Make sure that you're focused on the main things. Love God, love others. That will not change. The church will look different. The, you know, where we meet, how we meet, if we've got masks or no masks, all of that. But what will never change is love God, love others. There was a prophecy last week from one of the, one of the prophets that, that come to our church. They said this. This is not the time to shrink back as a church, but to press forward. This is not the time to shrink back, but it is the time to press forward. I want you to think about that for a minute. We as the church, our mission does not change. Democrat, Republican, free, not free. I mean, all those things. The mission of the church still stays the same. Now, it's true that that Peter told us to pray for our government leaders so that the church may operate in peace. He said that. Because the people he was writing to were under persecution. I get that. And you better be praying. No question about it. But my point is the mission of the church doesn't change. The mission of the church has never been to just dress up and look nice and sing songs together. All that's important. But that's not the mission. The mission is to make sure people know that Jesus is the way to salvation. That he's the answer to everything that they need. That's the mission. And if we're not fulfilling that, then we're not doing his mission. You know what I think, Bach? Think about that, that this time uncertainty and fear creates a great seedbed for the gospel. You may never have thought about that before. But the fact is, people are worried. They're uncertain. They're wondering what's going on. And for you, you may have thought, maybe it's somebody else's job. I'm not an evangelist. But you can at least be a farmer. You can plant seeds. You can water. And then maybe you harvest. Maybe you don't. But the fact is, you always have the opportunity to be planting seeds. And the way you do that is what you put in that gap oftentimes. How you treat people everywhere you are. Whether it's you online or on the freeway or wherever you go. (laughs) Neither Trump nor Biden can save your soul. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one. There's a lot of problems in our world. And for most of those, they start with us on an individual basis and how you treat people. If you think about how the early church turned over the Roman Empire and literally Christianized all of what was known as the world at the time was not by power, was not by government. None of them were in government. None of them had power. None of them had money. They didn't have places or things or buildings or any of that. The way they changed it was one-on-one living for Christ and sharing the gospel. I really do think this. I think the church has been distracted by, by the virus and by the election. I think we, we have. We let the, we've let the virus and the election set the agenda for the church rather than the church setting the agenda for the world. And the truth is, we need to do that. We're letting the culture set the agenda instead of the cross. So I've had a lot of people, what are we going to do as a church? Where are we going? Here's where we're going. We're going in the same place that we've been going, and we will continue to go. 
What we're going to do is we're going to love God and we're going to love people. The church is called to tell the world about Jesus. And each and every one of us have a part to play in that. Our, our parts are different. I proclaim it from up here, but you proclaim it with your very life and your words and the interactions that you have on a daily basis. You do it all the time. The world needs to know about Jesus. They need to know who he is. They need to know about his love and his grace and his righteousness and his truth. They need to know that he, he has a way to live that is the best way possible for them. They need to know that by what we say and what we do. You need to have a ready answer, just like Peter said in, in chapter 3. He said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. There are philosophies out there that need corrected by you. You can't always wait for someone else to do it. You need to do it. There are people's lifestyles that are destroying them, and you need to help them see the truth. You need to help them see that God gives us the rules he does because he loves us and he wants to provide and protect us. It's true. Nick, if you would join me up here for a minute. I'm an optimist. I think you'd all know that. I believe the greatest days for the church, not, not Crown Point Church, not even this building or this room, but the church of Jesus Christ, are the best days are ahead of us. I believe that. I believe that people need to know and that you have the answer. That it's been in your heart for a long time. And maybe you don't feel like you have exactly the right words or, or even the situation and the opportunities. But if you are willing to speak, he will give you the opportunities. So what do you do during these days? What do you do? I've wondered about this. Are we a physical church with an online presence? Are we now an online church with a physical presence? Either way, let me just tell you this. Our job has not changed. Our job has not changed, and it doesn't change. The first thing you need to do is this. You need to pray. You need to be praying, God, God, help our world. God, help save these who are in leadership over us. God, bless them. You need to be praying for those people. You need to be praying for God to give you wisdom and insight into what your part in that is. What seeds you need to plant, where you need to water, and if maybe it's your opportunity to harvest and someone to, to come to know Jesus as Savior. I think for some people, you need to just take a minute and figure out where you are. Are you one of those who... When I ask if you felt like people were more annoying lately than normal and you shook your head really fast, why is that? Something going on that you need to turn over to God? You know, in Philippians 4, I love how, I love how Paul writes this. He says, don't be anxious for anything. Is anybody anxious? Instead, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard both your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says, think about good things. Another thing we need to do is change who you're letting influence you. You control what goes into your heart and mind. Make sure it's the right things. I'm going to challenge you to do something that's hard to do. It's a choice you make. But I'm going to challenge you to put something different in that expectation gap. Because we all have them. You're going to have them. You're going to leave here and have them today. Whether it's with maybe your spouse or a friend of yours or somewhere you go today or a clerk or somebody you run into today, there's going to be an expectation gap. And I'm going to challenge you to decide ahead of time to put something different in there than when you normally would. How do you do that? Here's how you do it. I want to pray with you. Would you, would you stand with me for a moment?
As I get ready to dismiss you, I want to remind you that if you can help collect the the, uh, Christmas boxes, that Donna will be out there and needs us to sign up. I want to remind you that there's a hurting world out there that desperately needs us to be Christ and to live for him in every single way. I want you to shut your eyes with me for a minute. I know that some of you, as I've been talking, you've probably thought of individuals in your life that have disappointed you. Maybe, maybe you've thought of situations that have disappointed you. Maybe even as I was talking, you thought about how you've been putting the wrong thing in that gap. Maybe you felt a tinge of, of guilt, or maybe the Holy Spirit has kind of quietly or just spoke to your heart and mind and said, you need to change this. If that is you, I just want you to give that up to him right now. I want you to commit to put the benefit of the doubt in the middle of that gap, to extend the grace that we have been extended. Before I pray for us and dismiss us, I want to also ask this question. With everybody's heads bowed and your eyes closed, there may be somebody here today that maybe you've never actually committed your life to Christ. And maybe as we've been talking, you've, you think about, well, man, there's a better way and there's a different way and there's a God who loves me and someone who would forgive me of the things that I've done that were wrong. Yes, yes, that's true. And if you would like to join us in following him today, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. What I'll do is I'll lead us in a prayer and we will pray for you. Anybody like that in here today? If you're watching online, that's you. You just put it in the comment. Or if you want more privacy, you can email the church at prayer at crownpointchurch.com. Simple as that. Let me pray for us as we go out of here today. Father, I pray for everybody within the sound of my voice. God, I ask that you would help us as we encounter those disappointments with people and service and country and things that that we, we just are so frustrated with. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to extend the grace that you have given to us to every single person we encounter. Father, I pray further that that you would give us not only the opportunities, but then also the boldness to plant a seed, to water, to maybe even lead someone into knowing you personally. God, that you would offer those opportunities and that that we would walk through them. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. I hope you have a great day. I want to encourage you. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for joining us online.